1: We are back with On Second Thought from GPB. I'm Virginia Prescott. Artist Myra Kalman's career in picture books began with this song. is perhaps best known by adults for the now iconic New stan and other covers for the New Yorker magazine, or a dozen books, including And the Pursuit of Happiness and the Principles of Uncertainty. But she's written and illustrated 18 books for children. They are the inspiration for an exhibition opening this week at the High Museum. It's called The Pursuit of Everything. One of her books, Max Makes a Million, about a beat poet dog, is also being adapted for the stage. And Myra Kalman will be in town for the play's world premiere at the Alliance Theater and the exhibition's opening again this weekend. But first, we reached out to her in New York. Hello. Hello. So your first picture book was called Stay Up Late, based on that song from the Talking Heads album, Little Creatures. You also, did
0: you design the cover for that album, or was it your husband, Tibor? No, Tibor had a design company called M&Co. So we had a relationship with the Talking Heads and with David, and when that book came out and we had little children, we knew we were in a, in a new era of what could children's books be, and it was a perfect union.
1: Did you have children at that time?
0: We had two little kids, so
1: two little kids. So,
0: which felt like you know, we tw- you know twenty little
1: kids, but two little kids. <laughs> but so, the books that you were reading for them, were you finding the things that you wanted?
0: There are tremendously beautiful, of course, uh, children's books from all the eras. And, of course, we read the classics, William Steig and A.A. Millen and the Madeline book, The Bemelmans, which is my hero, and and the Eloise books. Uh, There's no lack of phenomenal writing and phenomenal illustration for children. It wasn't as if there was a lack. It was just that I was an an editorial illustrator and I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to do a, a whimsical children's book related to my style? So 18
1: books later, you clearly kept going What did you like so much about making picture books?
0: I, you know, I always say this, and, and I, and I ca- kind of mean it, not flippantly, that you can be really smart and really stupid for children, <laughs> and the parameters aren't the same as working for adults, which I also love to do. And basically, what you really want to do is share a story. You're, you're seeing the world, and you're looking and looking and looking, and then you're saying, this is what I see, and this is my story. So it's always a delight. It's never boring. And uh, for children, you really have to edit down to a certain number of pages, so you have to be concise, and I love that. Fewer words the better.
1: Well, you wanted to be a writer when you were growing up. Is that correct?
0: Yes, I very much thought that I would be a writer. And I had read Pippi Longstocking as a child, and I thought, this I can do this. The teenage years, the tumultuous, morbid, angst-ridden Teenage years arrived, and so did the and the writing reflected that. And I thought this is really unbearable. Who would want to read this, this horrible, sad stuff? So I thought painting and and drawing would be easier in the way and light, more lighthearted. So there were lots of people who I could look towards and say, Ah, I can do this. I can incorporate some narrative, some typography, still loving books and relating to books. And being an illustrator is a great relationship to the spoken word and the written word. So how about when you had kids of your own? Did they inspire your books or were you trying to entertain them and trying things out with them? they were constantly my models. And, you know, I've written books about them, Lulu and Alex, they're, that's who they really are. When they were little, they thought they had gone to Japan, because I did a book about them in Japan. They'd never been there, but they were very happy to tell people that they had been there. The absurd and the real world, the mundane world, is always appealing to me. There's always an intersection. Kids are the most inspiring people on earth, for sure.
1: Well, I see that in your drawings, your illustrations that are up on the walls of the High Museum now. Even that, even that first book, the stay up late, you know, you you have a kind of apartment scene with this fa- various members of a family you know, doing their own little things inside of a room and then this wailing baby in the corner sort of being pulled out. How do you come up with these little tableau, these little tiny worlds?
0: That's the mystery of sitting down in front of a blank piece of paper and then saying, I have to fill this the sense of organizing the world in a certain way. At a certain point, it's a delight to be the master of the universe, and that's what you are when you're sitting down in front of the paper. So I'm imagining music, I'm imagining movement, and I think that's one of the reasons that the play is going to happen, the musical is going to happen, Max Makes a Million, because everything is very kinetic. There's always the crazy stuff going on and, and lovely stuff going on. So it's always a mix. Well, for listeners who don't know your books, who is Max? Max Stravinsky, the beat poet dog. He's a kind of beagly kind of dog that wears a an askew hat and a brown coat. And in a way, he's me. He's a wanderer and a wanderer. And he travels around and makes poems and meets people. And a lot of the people that he meets in my book were actual people, you know, like Bruno, who paints invisible paintings, and he's a friend of mine who paints invisible paintings, and he's lovely and smart and charming. So it's a great opportunity to view the world from a kind of journalistic, artful way, with a sense of humor, and say, this is the world that we're in. Isn't this funny and strange? Well, Max's best friend Bruno makes invisible paintings for the Museum of
1: Incredibly Modern Art.
0: (laughs) Right, which is in New York City, of
1: course. (laughs) That's the thing. These are so funny I mean for kids to get it on one level and to be delighted with them but for parents who are read or adults who are reading these books to think oh my goodness it saves me from reading good night moon nothing against right. good night moon you,
0: no nothing against goodnight moon that's brilliant by the way and the and and she's a great great writer but uh, but you know to be able to be playful with language and to make up songs and puns and and really to experiment and it's a wonderful thing for children to see oh you can really play with the design and with with all of it and the same for parents that it should be an inspiring conversation for them without being too over you know too didactic or too moralistic or all those things so uh it should be open and have air in it they are not dumbing down for children sometimes with heavier topics i'm thinking of
1: fireboat this was written after 9 11 also thomas jefferson life liberty and the pursuit of everything In Fireboat, you illustrate planes flying toward the Twin Towers and, you know, this terrible explosion. In Thomas Jefferson's book, The Slave Quarters at Monticello, don't shy away from talking about Sally Hemings. So we see these images at the high, and a lot of parents try to shield kids from even remotely
0: sensitive topics like those. Why did you wade in? So it would have been impossible not to do a children's book and not talk about this woman who we had six children with. That's mm-hmm. I mean, a, it's a big part of the story. And it, it would be, uh, you know, unconscionable not to. I think it's inevitable that if you love children and you have a humanistic respect for children, that there's nothing that you can talk about if you have a kind heart about it. So I don't want to be gruesome or miserable and, and scary. But I think that there's nothing better than being honest in a loving, kind way. The children are so curious and have so many questions about things. And... There's no reason not to tell the truth. My guest is the artist and storyteller and illustrator Myra Kalman, an Alliance
1: theater play inspired by her work, Max Makes a Million, and a high museum exhibition of her illustrations and books for children open this week. Almost 30 years after readers met Max, the Alliance Theater is turning this into a play. You have collaborated with plenty of people from Kirsten Gillibrand on a book about women who helped get the right to vote, books with Daniel Handler, the author of the Lemony Snicket books, your son, Alex, and many others. So what was it like to do this collaboration with a director and an and actors and a
0: playwright giving over your book well, it's interesting because usually I'm obsessively controlling and I, you know, probably maybe for good reasons or maybe for bad. But in this instance, I thought this was an opportunity to let people take my work, create something, and then we'll see what it is. I mean, everybody who's involved is so smart and so talented and, you know, they understand my aesthetic. Otherwise, they wouldn't have taken this on in the first place and also the sensibility. So philosophically aesthetically you know humoristically i think we were all in tune and i so i i had very little to do with it almost nil and or nil and so this is going to be a, a tremendously wonderful surprise to come and see it as music and dance and because i'm because i'm also embarking on my fledgling theatrical dance career
1: Okay, so tell me more about that because somebody says you're obsessively co- controlling about your work, your output. I know drawings aren't static, but once you create them, you turn them over and they're there. But dance is a completely different thing. Acting is a different kind of high wire act. What is that? What, what do you have to let go of to do something like that?
0: Your dignity. <laughs> tell me more. Truly. You really have to say, I may look like a fool. I may make a mistake. I may literally forget my lines or fall down. That falling down hasn't happened yet, but I'm sure it's going to happen in this next performance. And so you have to say, I, it may be a failure. It may be, you know, you really have to give up the control and you have to give up what the sense of success is and accomplishment and say, experimenting in this is fantastic. Why are you letting yourself be on stage? I don't know. It's a terrible, <laughs> terrible question. <laughs> you know, I'm torn. I probably want the, I, you know, I'm, I want to hide and then I want to be out there. It's, it's you know, it's a, co- a complex thing to be a person. Yeah, but that also sounds like something that a lot of artists go through. You want to be out, you want your yeah. work out there in the world, but then you've got to make it. I mean, right. is, that, is yeah. that a challenge for you? Always, of course, because you just think that this is this time. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be what you, ima- you know, what you have in your soul. It'll never be realized in that way. And that's, you know, it's sh- it. The good news is that it doesn't stop me, and that I'm continually producing work, because you could be paralyzed and say, I can't possibly do this. But something in me says, okay, I'm going to continue, and you know, I have enough positive reinforcement in many parts of my life to allow myself in this iteration to, to see if I succeed or fail. And it's an interesting, you, le- you just learn a lot. How do, how do you empty your brain of all of those voices that say you're not gonna do it right long enough to do it? I guess that's practice. I'm really good for, uh, you know, I'm really good at emptying my brain. I I have an, I'm an empty brain expert. (laughs) How do you do it? And I think, you know, I could give courses in it. And I think that one of the things that you, you know, you do, walking is an incredible way to empty your brain and really just... And especially for women, you know, to turn off a kind of loop of I'm a failure. This isn't going to work out. I think, it, you know, I, maybe it's a stupid generalization to say that women have it more than men. But clearly, you know, the, the life of doubting yourself, you, you can turn that off and see what happens instead. Yeah, I wouldn't know anything about that, Myra. <laughs> I never hear those yeah. things. <laughs> right, exactly. And, well, you know, and also the, da- the doubting voice and, and the doubting voice serves a purpose because you really have to make decisions and you say, OK, out of all of the terrible decisions, what's the least terrible? So th- that's an, also a process, you know, that that kind of panic and worry and then stopping and working. Working is the only solution to all of that, by the way. Yeah. Uh, so it's the motivator for the work and it's also
1: the thing that makes it go away in some level. Right. There is a pop quiz that you created, and it's on the wall as part of the exhibit at the high. The last question there is how many mistakes did you make today?
0: Every time I open my mouth. And, you know, what's interesting is that uh, I've gotten so many letters Well, from yeah, Well, I was going to ask. You left oh, your address it's there. So incredible. What, what did they say? Hundreds said? and hundreds. Oh, the range of mistakes is if, you know, they make a mistake or and whatever it could be, I wore the wrong sock or then they blame other people for their mistakes and say, I made no mistakes, but my sister made many, you know, so the, the range of what you consider in your life a mistake, I find really fascinating. Because what does that even mean and what does embarrassment mean? So, we you know, we go through life terrified of making mistakes and yet we make them from morning till night. I, have to, I mean, I can't think of anything specific. You know, maybe I was short-tempered with somebody this morning already. Is that a mistake? I don't know. So we didn't get to talk about another new project of yours, Cake. This
1: is a new cookbook with Barbara Scott Goodman. But we, we see in the show at the High some of the things that you love. Cake, for one thing. Dogs hats, the founders, Thomas Jefferson in particular. What are some of the other things that you love that you'd like to leave us with today?
0: Well, I I actually want to leave you with another book that I did, which was Sarah Berman's Closet. And it's a book about my mother's closet. This is your mom's closet. closet. Yeah. And it's a, a, a book that came out of an exhibit at my son's museum. So Alex Kalman is my son and he Uh, is now an adult and has his own museum on Cortland Alley in New York City. And so we installed a replica of my mother's closet after she died. We kept all her things, and she only wore white, by the way, but that's just one aspect of it. So the show traveled from his tiny alleyway niche to the Metropolitan Museum of Art. We are always talking about how marvelous and amazing it is that somebody who had a very humble life and had a very humble attitude towards things is such a tremendous inspiration and that the daily life of, of just the things that you do and how you really have to pay attention and create beauty around you that means something to you. So she was tremendously inspiring in that way. And so I love her more than cake. <laughs> well, and it's so beautiful. I've seen photographs of this
1: exhibit. It's just completely ordered and spare and almost... It almost looks curated in a way. Why put that on display? Your mother's closet. What what is it
0: about that that epitomizes who she was? I think that when somebody has so much such mindful attention to something with such a sense of humor that and beauty that you uh, you know what else do you need in life? It's interesting to think of you looking at your mother's closet, or
1: you as as a child, you know, seeing works of art in many things. Is that what
0: you're hoping to inspire for children in your books? I think so. I think that the sense of waking up in the morning and that the day is a complete surprise. I mean, you have things to do, but you really don't know what you're going to see. And that that is the thing that keeps you happy, basically, because there's a lot of stuff to make you sad. So if you're really looking and you are enchanted by things... Um you have a good chance of being okay in your life. You must be the best grandma possible.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wait, wait, would you call my daughter and you didn't you know, tell her that. that she knows that and tell her that no she knows that and I write a letter. I have a three year old uh, granddaughter who I write a letter to every week since she was born. And so she has a she's got a book.
1: They're on view at the high. Some of those letters are on view at the high. That's right. Which I, gives know, us course, a little picture. I thank you for a wonderful conversation. I'm so glad we had the chance to speak with you, Myra Kalman. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was great. Her work is the inspiration for an exhibition at the High Museum called The Pursuit of Everything, opening this weekend and running through September 15th. A stage adaptation of her book, Max Makes a Million, opens at the Alliance Theater on June 20th and runs until July 21st. You can see some images of her work and find out more on both shows at gpbnews.org.